Here we are at Potted Market. About a century ago, had you walked down the streets of Newark, you would have been reminded constantly how central beer making and brewing were to this town. First, you would have seen factories like Ballantines and Kruger's churning out hundreds of barrels of lager and ale each day. Second, you would have seen ornate mansions built by the owners and executives who managed these same factories. That is to say nothing about the hundreds of bars, taverns, and tap rooms that you would have seen in the many different communities throughout the city. While many would ascribe Newark's success with brewing to the water flowing into the city from the Appalachian Highlands, the story is really a demographic one. Newark was host to English, Scots-Irish, German, Polish, and Irish immigrants, all with proven beer cultures that they brought from the old world. If anything, it was this great demand for beer with the requisite know-how that launched the city into the pantheon of great American beer cities. Nevertheless, a combination of prohibition, deindustrialization, and a mass exodus of many of these same immigrant groups all but hollowed out Newark's brewing industry. The only remnant of that industry for decades is the Anheuser-Busch plant that straddles the Newark-Elizabeth border. Funny enough, my next-door neighbor worked there for over 30 years and would bring back some special releases and brewery exclusives for my family to enjoy. Despite the beer renaissance and the craft brewing revival that started in the late 60s and reached fever pitch in the last two decades, Newark seemed to be missing out on an opportunity to get back into the business. That is until 2021, when Newark Local Beer appeared on the scene. Newark Local Beer softly opened last fall at the bottom of Walker House on Broad Street. The brewery produces over 10 different beers on site, all under the watchful eye of Steve Hughes. Steve Hughes is the co-owner-operator of Newark Local Beer, along with his wife, Miller Hughes, and he's here to talk to us about how the brewery came to be and what he hopes for it. So, welcome, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so, my first question is, why brewing? Well, beer has always been, I would say, important to me, but I've always had an interest in beer and craft beer. Um, interestingly enough, my first foray into beer was making beer was even before I was 21. I was actually in college and my brother got me a home brewing kit. And so I was always interested in the, in the hands-on approach to making beer and formulating recipes and fermenting and, and trying to make beers on your own as opposed to, you know, going out and buying them in the store, or, you know, looking through the shelves to buy them even through college and post-college. That's actually really um, funny. Cause I, I also started brewing in college. Um, uh, we had these things called tutors, which are like RAs, and he got this beer making kit, and he invited a bunch of us to help him make beer. Again, I was under twenty one when this happened. And, <laughs> Ironic. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And we, uh, I ended up getting to try. It. He kind of secretly let me have a bottle. I think actually it was like three bottles. It was fine. It wasn't anything special, <laughs> but it was. I think it's like one of those things where you, when you make it, you know, you fall in love with it. And I imagine that happened to you too. It did happen to me, and I and I made some god awful beers. I mean, some of the probably the first five beers I made were so bad that I probably poured the first two out three. I tried to convince my friends to drink them because I told them how great it was and they probably didn't know the difference, but I mean, so bad, just some of the worst beer you could possibly imagine. The fact that I even stuck with it was, was probably a surprise to me and my friends and family at that point. So, and this was like, uh, I'm guessing in the nineties, right? Or two thousand. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and part, and part of the part of that beer making kit was, you know, I grew up in on the border of Vermont, New Hampshire. I grew up in Hanover, New Hampshire, and there was craft breweries were starting to pop up in brew pubs. Yeah. And so, you know, I got a book for like a home brewing kit and a book, and I read. And I'm like, this can't be that hard. And these things are starting to pop up. It was little did I know it was probably 20 years before the craft revolution was really going to start. But 
And, you know, that was kind of the beginning of it for me. It was just growing up in an area where those types of things were happening. Um, and so you weren't always uh, a brewer, like you didn't graduate college and go straight into brewing, right? Yeah, no, not at all. Career, right? That's right. I, I had a career in like financial operations and accounting for almost for 25 years, but it, I knew I wanted to be a brewer or own a brewery probably when I was a sophomore in college, which is really strange because it took me 25 years to get the goal to try it, you know? Um, and I think that happens a lot with maybe second careers for a lot of people. I was just afraid to break out of the mold, you know, li and living in and around New York city. It's, it's people didn't start breweries, you know, they went to insurance companies or financial companies or whatever it was. It wasn't really a New York city thing to do. And that's where I was living at the time after college. So, right. A lot of people were investing in this upcoming revolution. They weren't necessarily <laughs> going in and filling vats with wart. Like, yeah, yep, exactly. That. Um, I mean, it's a big leap, though, going from like obviously home brewing to to owning a brewery. Did you apprentice yourself? Like, how do you go from like A to like Z? Right. I did. I apprenticed myself. Um, I kind of tapered my financial career back into a consulting role, which led me freed me up, you know, twenty thirty hours a week. And um, I had a friend Brian from high school who had. I've done the same thing, had a first career and opened up a brewery. It was called Attaboy Beer in Frederick, Maryland. And that happened about five years ago. And so that happened and I was talking to him and, you know, I was thinking about a career change anyway. And, you know, we just got talking. He's like, you got to come down here, just check it out, see what we're doing and, and, you know, learn how to brew on the, on the commercial scale and, and formulate recipes and clean the equipment. So I started to do that. I started to go down, you know, once a month for a couple of days and then it became more often. And he and his wife, Carly, just kind of invited me into their home and I would just go down as often as I could um, and just learn, 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 learn everything I could. And, you know, he made some good points. He said, everybody wants to say they own a brewery, but they don't really want to run the operations. Mm -hmm. It's like so much cleaning, uh, you know, you're dealing with a an environment where everything has to be spick and span kind of operating room cleanliness. You said it's, you know, people say they want to be brewers and then they start to do it and realize that 90% of it's cleaning. Yeah. So he's like, you might want to come down and try this first. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's no secret that I'm really into cocktails and it's obviously not the same, but it's kind of similar. I think a lot of people love cocktails and not so much cleaning, obviously cleaning is a component of it, but like a lot of it's just like discipline <laughs> Like yeah, a level yeah. of discipline. I imagine it's so true with brewing too, right? Because you can you, your margins are of messing up are not as big, right? Like you have to consistency is huge. I'd imagine. Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. Which is why you're doing all the cleaning, right? Because yeah, exactly. Like one one speck of bacteria, and all of a sudden you have a sour on your hands, right? Or even yeah. something dangerous. Um, that's absolutely right. And uh, so is that like kind of what it was like? Was that a, like a wake up call for you going down there? A little bit. I mean, I knew from the, I was I'd always homebrewed, and I knew from the homebrewing it was every you, every book you read or everybody you talked to it was cleanliness, cleanliness. And I had my share of infected batches because I was a weekend warrior, and you know, would brew in the morning and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna skip this step and uh, make it to my kid's soccer game." And you know, a month later, you would like keg a beer and be like, "Wow, that's really bad." In fact, check check the pH, and it's definitely infected. And you pour it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just it's just one of those things for sure. And 
Yeah, it was really important information to hear from my buddy Brian. Go down there. He's, you you need to see what this is really like um, for yourself before you get into that. Mm. Uh, my wife and I we spoke. We, you know, we wanted to open our own business and we wanted to get into it, but it was it was there definitely needed to be that gut check. And I'm glad I did it. I probably fell in love with it more. You know, doing it on a commercial scale, which was not really how I planned it to happen. I was, I, my plan in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, I'm going to go down there and hate this and turn around and go back to my old life, you know, but thankfully it went the other way for us. Yeah. That, that's kind of amazing. Cause I think people had warned me like, Mandy, you would never want to open a cocktail bar and I've never done this, but yeah. like, I think people really thought that, Oh, if he just does like an eight hour shift, he will like learn what it is and hate it. <laughs> and yeah. I do that now. Like, I mean, I do this underground cocktail thing and I am loving it. I don't drink. Like I'm just like constantly like moving around. Like it, it, it's so much fun and a burst of energy. And like you know, I, I, like I'm I'm a bit on the spectrum. Like I just like sometimes I feel like I'm trapped in conversations. And you know, th- nothing's more amazing than to be like, oh, I need to go work on this, right? Like I need oh, to yeah. make a drink oh. for someone else, which I imagine oh, is true the- for you. <laughs> I do it all the time. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I gotta flip that. I, gotta, I don't know if I left the CO2 on back there. Or I'm <laughs> constantly running back and forth between the tap room and the. And, you know, the manufacturing facility, and you've seen our area, they're kind of yeah, intertwined yeah. anyway. But, I'm, you know, and then I find myself out in the tap room pouring beers, and I've got these stupid rubber boots on, and like a, almost sweaty, and I've got stained shirts. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should just relegate myself to the back of the office here <laughs> where I belong. Well, it's, it's so refreshing. And this is true with breweries in general, but, like, it's always refreshing to see that the owner-operator is, like, like knee-deep, literally. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and like, you know, you're not, you're always wearing a baseball cap. You're in some kind of like dingy t-shirt, right? Not this is not yeah. complaining about your fashion choices, but it's just saying oh. like you you're coming off a whole day usually of, you know, putting around with things whether it's cleaning or brewing or or even just kegging in bottle or canning. I mean, sometimes yeah. you'll, you know, you'll be putting stuff away and um it's always fun to see like it's it's kind of hard to flag you down cuz you're just like you're in, in the middle of everything all the time. Yeah. I equate it to when I go to a restaurant and yeah. We have some little restaurants around our home, and we haven't really been to them lately just because of the, the COVID situation. But there's these little Italian restaurants we go to every now and then, and the chef always pops out. Mm. And you're like, oh, yes, oh, yeah. And he's like, how was your uh, shrimp parm? You know, we don't usually make that. We did that for you off the menu. And he's like, you know, they get, you get talking with them. It's always nice to, like, just see them pop out of the kitchen. And they're always, you know, they're wearing their stained white garb. And, you know, it's great to, for them to come out and, and talk to you and see you and that's a big part of the business. Yeah. Uh, are you, did you, uh, what are the breweries did you, do you consider to be a model for what you're doing? Like, or ones that maybe just, if not a model were really great to go to because you probably, you know, liked what they were doing or you found some inspiration from them. Yeah. There, there's one specifically in it for me and it's Maine beer company mm, up in yeah. free, up in Freeport, Maine. And, um, if you've been to our tap room, our, our brewing style and our, Choices are conservative in nature, and sometimes I feel like Maine Beer Company has that same same sort of structure. Yeah, um, I don't think they even brew a New England IPA. It's just clean IPAs. You can see through them, and they're hoppy, and you know they they don't stray away from things that they know they don't do well or don't think. I'm sure they could do them well, but that's just they have a style and they stick to it. Yeah, you know it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because I spent eight years in New England, and those eight years included. 
a time where probably you were, you know, most exposed to what was going on. Right. I remember going to Harpoon. Yeah. Harpoon was already big, but like in, I remember being at Harpoon in 2004, obviously too young to drink. I was there with my aunt and uncle who are beer obsessives and like just being imbued in that whole world. And I feel like I'm old enough now. I'm only 32, but I'm old enough to be like, like beers were different when I were 12, when I was 20, right? There was no such thing as a New England IPA. And if it, it was just an IPA, right? And it was just yep. done in a very unique style. But even then, most of the New England IPAs, I think, or what were being made in New England were still kind of West Coast style. Oh, stuff, yeah, absolutely. Right? That, yeah, it didn't exist at all. Right. And it's just crazy to think that like 10 years later, we're in arguably what's probably third 3.0 or third generation, right? Of the beer, of the craft revival, I think. Yep. Yeah. You, have, you have like a 70s, 80s, 90s era. And then you have what goes on in the 2000s. And then what, we, what we're in now, which I think is like very driven by uh, obviously hazy, hazy, juicy IPAs, yeah. sours, and then like the lager comeback, which I think is its own kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, was, they, sorry, yeah. yeah. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to ask you if there's styles that you really find interesting that you are trying to replicate or do at the uh, at the Yeah, brewery. I mean, I... I focus mostly on clean and approachable beers. Mm. I like a lot of different styles. There are certain styles I just don't do well and I've tried and I'll probably never make like a Hepavites and I've never done one well. Somebody was in the brewery last night. Like, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to do a wheat beer, right? And I'm like, probably not. They're yeah. like, well, that's crazy. And I was like, well, I don't do it well, but I'd love to go to a store and buy it from somebody who does do it well. <laughs> You know, it's just one of those, it's just one of those beers I've never done well. And, I, and I've read about them and talked to brewers and it's just like, just not in the cards for me for whatever reason. I'll probably try one sometime. It'll be terrible, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, uh, but uh, like, I feel bad cause you do get this all the time. Like, I, I think I did this with you being like, you should do a red ale <laughs> and, and I'm sure you're like rolling your eyes. Like, yes, you're not the first person to ask me to, to not just a red ale, but to just do any style. Um, yeah. how does and I like that? And I could probably do that. But yeah, <laughs> well, it's a little wheat, easier. It's it's just a multi. Yeah, wheat beer is weird because that's like it's it just such a unique style and taste, and it's I imagine it's so hard to to work with. For me, for whatever yeah. reason, it's just if you see a wheat beer on our menu, you probably, it probably means we sold the business. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you do R and D? Like, because I, I can't imagine you're doing a whole vat of like we. I I mean, I have a slew of recipes that I've done in the past and over decades of home brewing and I use those and I literally scale them up to um. 300 gallons or whatever. So the R&D was kind of in place. I, I do reach out to I reach out to my former employer Brian a lot. Um like one of those solo I don't reach out to the local brewing network the way I should and ask about what they're doing a lot. I kind of like internalize it and try to make things mine without you know, I don't want to replicate something that another brewery has. So I, I'm, we, I'm kind of weird like that where I don't ask what other people are doing because I don't I almost don't want to know. I just want to do kind of what I think is right or what what I'm interested in, and and I don't want to step on other people's toes or ha- or make beers that don't have my particular style on them. I guess it sounds weird, but yeah, it's the- yeah, it's kind of funny because like you're talking about not stepping on toes, and I'm trying to think like within like a five mile radius, I can only name five breweries maybe six am i missing one um i'm guessing that's the sort of the sandbox you're playing in right it's that's right that's right montclair four city um i guess departed souls but they're just doing their own thing um 
Nick Ghost another... Talk is in there. Oh yeah, yeah, Ghost Talk. And what's Clifton, the one? Yeah. What's the one that's in? Uh, is it Hackensack or? No, oh, there's a Hackensack and Elementary, both right yes. down the street from each it, other. In fact, Elementary. Yeah. That's right. I forgot yep. about them. And um, all these brewers are great, and I have these. Yeah. I don't have great, deep relationships with them, but they've all come in and, and bestowed their blessings upon me and dropped off their beer and said, "This is great. We're excited to have you. And if you ever need anything, let us know." I mean, so it's great that we have this beer community. I probably don't use other brewers or other beer companies to my advantage in terms of like R and D or just mm-hmm. kind of reaching out for where to get ingredients and stuff as much as I should. And I probably will now once my head starts to come out of the sand a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny, like what, which ones get traction. I, I, um, I keep my eye out just, be, I, I, they don't get enough distribution in my opinion, but like Tom's river, you know, is also another one. It's still far out, but like, yeah, I've actually really enjoyed their stuff. They do for an Irish brewery they really do interesting german beers which is great i mean these people all these yeah i I think a lot of these brewing companies are way more have way more dexterity or yeah than anybody knows i mean there's still the roots of brewing in there the recipe formulation can come pretty easily i think just by talking to somebody or reading Mm -hmm. um so i mean in short it's i pretty much just brew the full 10 barrels yeah, I have an idea. I pray for the best, but they're not usually. I'm not usually deviating in a crazy, not deviating from previous recipes. I think the only one on the menu now that I really was just a total shot in the dark was we have a cold IPA mm. or a dry hopped lager, which is I had never done before at all. Is, that, is that the little bud? That's the little bud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean that that's the one probably that's straight away completely out of my realm of comfort or any sort of R&D or, yeah. you know, that was just a first time shot. Um, you know, it's funny is I, I've tried all the beers you've had, but when you gave me a sample of that train wreck the other day, I finally <laughs> had, I finally had, had everyone except for the seltzer, which I just refuse on principle. <laughs> to, to <even laughs> I love that. Touch yeah. it. That's funny. I, I know I, why I, you have it, but like, it's just like, uh. <laughs> Oh yeah. I don't drink in public. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny we sell an insane amount of it and, and making the next one we have certain customers just come in for the seltzer it's funny i'm just bouncing ideas i'm like well there's about 20 of you that really love it and you drink a lot of it so what do you want the next flavor to be you know it's, it's funny just, oh god it's just i know I, like i feel like i know exactly how to make money but i just refuse to yeah. engage in like what's trendy <laughs> yeah. and so i just sit there in misery just being like no nah, i don't want to do this like i don't, I don't want yeah that that is one of those kind of bittersweet. Yeah, it's like you have to just. It's still a business. Yeah, of course. I want to make craft beer, and but also I want to make money, and there is certainly a market for that. And people come in and they say, "Wow, this is these commercials. These commercial versions of this are garbage." I'm like, uh, <laughs> "We're yeah. still crafty." Yeah, yeah. I, I I think there's like a bit of a. Um, I don't say uh, not a slash and burn. What's the expression? Like, there's like a, a, a stigma, or I don't no, know. No, but I mean, like the the the. the but I'm talking about the big companies. You know, your 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 Coors Miller, your um, oh yeah, your Anheuser Busch is trying to you know run into that market and just kind of occupy and grab it using their their you know huge marketing and R and D departments as well as yeah the sort of well, they're, branding. Yeah, they're doing trust. it. Yeah. yeah, they're doing it intelligently and making it really cost-effective and, and their markup is insane. Whereas it, I think the seltzers are most expensive 
drink to make or beer to make because of the amount of fresh fruit we put in it and the oh, yeah. champagne and the champagne and wine yeast. So I'm just looking at it going, oh, we got to have it. But yep. maybe I should just cut a corner and just make it like a really, but I just I can't get myself to just pump it full of sugar or aspartame and make it sweet, boysen, oh, berry. You're kidding me. So like I've had like mainstream ones before. So yeah, that, I, asp- that aspartame taste is actually aspartame. I think it is. Oh, I think wow. it is. I think it is. Yep. I'm not smart. I'm not smart enough to read those labels and know what uh, any of those okay. chemicals are. Uh, in there. Folks, folks at home, because alcohol is not governed under the FDA, I believe um, it doesn't have to list the ingredients. So whenever you see ingredients or calorie counts for like um, any alcohol, that's just like by the sheer niceness of whoever's producing it. But they do not have to, by law, yeah, uh, put any of that, that stuff. I think that little that little sugary bite you get is 100. percent Kind of, it has to be aspartame. I mean, and I think they're probably at putting food coloring in there to get the color they want. Yeah. You know? But I can't say for sure. But although I'll tell you, I've had some. I like not. It's not quite the same. But I've had some canned cocktails, which initially I like recoiled at. But I yeah. had a couple that were like, "Oh, this is kind of interesting tasting." Like, and it's just, I, it's just fun. It's not. I a think there's some cocktail. good ones out there. I mean, I'm guilty of a uh, tequila soda drinks that come in a can. Mm. You know, and oh, I think some, Topo I think Chico's some, doing that now too. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think there's some really nice ones out there. I think there's some really horrible ones too. Yes. <laughs> but uh, that was certainly a huge, huge market out there. Yeah. So, actually, speaking of, of markets and such, you know, I wanted to avoid asking you the question why Newark. So, let me put the question a little bit differently, which is like, where do you see yourself? You know, I started the episode with this whole like history. My question is, where do you see yourself? in that larger history of Newark. I mean, you're the first brewery to open up in this town, arguably yeah. since th- probably the 50s. Yeah. I'm going to answer the original yeah. question you didn't want to ask. Sure, sure, sure. Kind of just fold it in there a little bit. And the the interesting thing about us being in Newark was there was never really a discussion of anywhere else. It was like, mm. it was Newark. Where else are you going to get? You know, it's it's a interesting conundrum of how do I find the space to put a manufacturing plant in with all this big equipment and have a loading dock. And so Newark has this unique real estate. And I mean, part of it is just the economy's been depressed and there's a lot of empty, big, old, cool buildings. Um, But it also has businesses and schools and eclectic artist crowd. And and we see ourselves as artists, probably not that different than like a painter or a chef. So, you know, Newark has this big artist community and we kind of see ourselves in that artist community more than in that beer industry. Sounds weird, but it just kind of made sense for us to be in Newark for just that reason. Yeah. Um, um, that's, that's actually really cool. Cause like, um, I, I, I figured it, it, it was a bit of an opportunity thing in the sense that like a space did open up, but I didn't yeah. realize that this was like, you weren't just picking from uh, a tableau of spots. You actually, Really yeah, thought I mean, New York would be where you would go. Yeah, I mean, we didn't seriously look at real estate anywhere else. Just interesting. Um, and I guess the second part of the question is where do we see ourselves in that fold? Um, we don't consider ourselves cutting edge or trying to change anything about Newark. But ideally, I think in a perfect situation is the beer industry has a little bit of growth, we think, in New Jersey and even in Newark is five years down the line, I would love to see another brewery or two or three 
um, and see more restaurants open up in the area, specifically in our neighborhood, certainly down in Ironbound. There's, there's a density of restaurants that you don't get kind of up in the downtown area where we are. Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, I understand that you're like not making an argument that you're doing anything groundbreaking, but I will tell you what's different. And this is true with Four City. This is true with Montclair Brewing. Um, Departed souls to to an extent, but this is like the inverse of what I experienced outside of New Jersey. Like Northern New Jersey, the breweries are actually opening up in downtowns. Whereas let's say like, you know, I remember when Jack's Abbey was a hole in the wall, like my uncle would take me there. Um, Yeah. That's in like an old factory, like not not far from downtown Framingham because Framingham's not that big, but like you know it's not in the center of Framingham, right? Now yeah. it is. They moved. They since moved. Actually, there's a brewery there called Exhibit A now. Um, but they are like you know they were setting up in the old industrial areas. I mean Jim Cook, who I was fortunate enough to have show me around Sam Adams factory. It's like having Willie Walker oh, wow. show you around the top. Yeah, factory. that's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, I'll, yeah, I'll show you pictures when I see you in person. It's, it was it was great. He actually poured some beer. It was great. Um, but like that opened up in Jamaica Plain, a very rundown factory, you know, abandoned factory part of town back in the 80s. Whereas like what I'm seeing in Northern Jersey is so strange, which is you're getting breweries opening in what are high traffic areas? I mean, like Walnut Street for Montclair Brewing. Yeah, what? Like, actually, the right next to the trains. Is. Actually, the funny thing is, you guys are all on the same train line. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's actually the- <laughs> it is amazing. You could do a nice little uh, beer tour. Yeah, because you could t- you take the Morris Essex line and the Montclair Booten line. Uh, like you, you got Newark Broad Street and Orange. I think it's the Orange Stop, right? For and Forest coming City. soon, one in Bloomfield on that same train line. Oh, is that in, like actually, what I, I, I call New Bloomfield? That area yep, of Bloomfield yep. has gotten built out. Okay. Yep. Yeah, All yeah. those. And I forget the name spaces me right now, but um, one's going right in there. And I think they're kind of knee deep in build out right now. So I well, guess we could it, expect another the reason next why this, year. So. The reason why this weirds me out is it, it, like the other model makes economic sense to me because they're operating in a very low cost per square footage kind of place. I mean, Gil Speyer, who's been on this podcast, who runs Newark's distillery. You know, he opened yeah. up where he is because it is in a very low cost area. It's kind of hard to get to, but it's low cost. Um, yeah. But what's blowing my mind is like I'm seeing people like you open in what are like obviously Newark is still cheaper than let's say Manhattan, where you know you have the most exp- like the only brewery in Manhattan is Torch and Crown, which I've been to. I was actually just there last week. It's oh, yeah. probably the most expensive place you could be in Manhattan. <laughs> oh yeah, to yeah. open a brewery, but they do really good work. Um, but like you guys are doing that similar thing where you're opening in these high cost areas. So to end this really, really long question, like why? Like what's the kind of the strategy there? Yeah, I, mean, we, I think it's exposure or just being uh, being in that downtown area around the businesses and, you know, NJ Pack and, um, you know, Audible or Prudential or all, just a whole host of businesses. Well, not right now, not because of COVID, but when we originally – we're looking at places we wanted to be in a high traffic area and a high visibility, you know, so we in essence like paid up a little bit to be in that spot. And we just thought it would be really neat to be in a place where people can walk out of their apartment building and go there and not have to park their car. We're, we're thinking about people from Newark, first of all, first and foremost, and we have visitors that come from all over the place, I'm sure. Um, but we wanted to be in that urban area. You know, we, we originally came from Manhattan. So we wanted to, we thought about, oh, how, you know, 15 years ago when we were in Manhattan, how cool it would have been to walk out your front door, and walk into a brewery. 
So it was a little bit of that from us, a nostalgia standpoint of you know, coming from New York City. Um, you know, like I strive for people to sort of, you know, be honest and sharing on this podcast. And I'm like, I kind of, you know, I want to ask you without, you know, there's stuff, there's stuff I know because I've, I found out or I've talked, you know, to you personally or just figured out from the yeah. grape, uh, the grapevine. But like, I would like to ask, you know, how difficult <laughs> was it to open this thing? I mean, like I was hearing about it, you know, 2019, 2018, I think it was 2019 when I first started. Yeah, at least, yeah, at least. Now, obviously there's COVID, but what aside from COVID, like what other like road bumps did you run into? Just about all of them, from licensing to contractors. I mean, we just like hit every bump in the road. And everybody kind of had told us, just be prepared for setback after setback, just building in an urban area or being in Newark or being, you know. We just really hit it all. Mm. We just went down the checklist and just delay, 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 delay. Um, in retrospect, I think and I've said this before, maybe to you personally in person is the silver lining there is that we opened in COVID. And yeah. so now we've got this like great little Newark following without the transient crowd. And we hope that the transient crowd kind of emerges and these companies all come back and we start to get a whole slew of different people in the brewery. But you know, the, the silver lining for that for us is we've always said it since we opened is that we're actually kind of ingrained in the community and with our locals. That's, that's, and that's been amazing. Whereas opposed to opening regular times and you can't really sift through or get to know your customers and say, can't get to know them all and say, where are you guys from? But actually we opened in such a slow time that we were able to do that, which has been amazing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really great. Cause like, you know, I get nervous, um, you know, a lot of things want to come to Newark and then they run into like all these kind of, um, headwinds. I mean, I've had plenty of people on this podcast who open businesses and to hear those stories. And, you know, it, it always, I always keep wondering, I mean, I want to have method climbing on here, which is your next door neighbor. I mean, if you have stories, <laughs> they, they have it even more, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like to be flooded out in the middle of the year. It's nuts. I mean, yeah, maybe um, a half a dozen times at this point. Yeah, it's just, uh, um, but like, you know, it, it's astounding that people do persevere because I mean, if there's, if, it, if there's a beauty to the American way of doing business is you're supposed to be able to just walk away, right? That's the nature of like yeah. the market. Um, so what kept, yeah, we were really what kept you going? Yeah, like, <laughs> we, we were really stubborn. <laughs> was it because yeah. like you invested so much or is it just because there was yeah. something bigger going on there? It was a little bit of that. It just in our, in our minds or in our, our gut feeling was like, this is going to work out. It's yeah. obviously going to be tough. Any business opening anywhere is going to be tough. And I think, we were kind of just, we set ourselves up for this is going to be a bumpy road and doesn't matter whether it's a brewery or a restaurant or axe throwing or whatever it is, it's going to take time to, for the dust to settle and for us to, you know, get inspections and, and get the doors open to the public. You know, it's funny as I was, uh, and I'm going to be really honest with you. I was actually super, I may have told you this already, but like, this could be the first time you're hearing it. Like I was super skeptical, skeptical about what you were doing. I, this is before I met you. I, I didn't know who you were. Um, I had heard about you only because of my my day job. I you know we're very much uh, you know apprised of what's going on around the company and and in Newark, and so I knew that you guys were coming, and I had a little more detail than let's say the average go- Joe on the street. Yeah. 
Yep. But I was just like, kind of, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I keep joking with like, if you want to meet the 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 the, the biggest pessimists about Newark, it's actually the people who like grew up and live here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We That's pretty funny. Of, yeah, like we're some of the worst pessimists. What are you doing, you yeah. idiot? What are you doing? <laughs> well, it's so funny because we've seen it all. Like, I, I, yeah. we've legit seen it all in this town. And so for me, it was just like, why open a brewery in the middle of downtown? Da da, this and that. And then, like, you know, we come to last week, which is you're, you're holding a trivia night. And, like, most of the people, the brewery is packed, and most of the people aren't there for the trivia. Right? Yeah, and I don't even think any, I think half the teams didn't even know it was trivia night. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, you guys want to go up and get your card? They're like, they, I think they thought there was a DJ. The guy was setting up his sound equipment. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, but it just shows you, right? Like, the demand is so latent that apparently, like, even I mean, COVID's still going on. The offices are still largely closed, not yeah. completely, but largely. And there are still people showing up. And um, you know, I, I, my question is like, what kind of crowds are you seeing in the brewery right now? Oh, eclectic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't have another word other than that. But uh, it's yeah, we just see everything. I mean, you look down the bar on any given night. Well, it always looks the same, different, you know, different than what you're expecting to see at a brewery. I mean, anybody's expecting to see it at a brewery, I think. Um, but I also think that, you know, I say eclectic, but it's also, I think it's just a representation of Newark. So it, maybe it's not eclectic, hmm. you know, reading into it too much. But I feel like we're, we are getting a good representation of Newark. And, and I, mean, I know that because most of our customers are from Newark. And I get to meet them and talk to them. Um, yeah, there, there are definitely a couple of people that <laughs> I see there like pretty often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to name names. But there's there's like no, at least four people. Names. Like there are four oh, people. Yeah. I'm like, you're you're here again. <laughs> yeah, wait, what? <laughs> the beer's not that good. I mean, geez. <laughs> um, what are you, uh, my question is like also aside from any brewing hopes, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Just like specific styles that you want to try out, but like. Um, you know, what are your hopes for the space aside from brewing? Like, are there plans or at least maybe like aspirations for things you want to do in that space? Yeah, and it, we've, we do want to use this. So we do have started to rent out the space for parties and we started some trivia and some live music. Um, the one thing that we look forward to doing, which we haven't done yet, which we've talked about nauseating lengths, is to get more local artists in there to, to mm-hmm. showcase their work, whether it's a statues or paintings or maybe get a mural on the wall or have people put their work for sale. And so we, we have this, obviously this giant place and the walls are just bare. Um, we've always talked about tapping into that local artist community and giving people who maybe don't have a small studio or don't have the space to put their work up, or maybe they want to reach a different crowd with their work. So, I think it's important for us to actually do this and not just talk about it. And I think that's going to happen sooner than later. Um, um, yeah, it's actually funny because a lot of it's going to be driven by crowds and stuff like them, the kind of crowds that come in. And I'm wondering, it's hard to predict these things. So, and I get if you don't have a fully like baked out answer, but with return to work changing to the way it's going to eventually be, what what are you expecting in terms of what kinds of people will be going to the brewery? What are your plans for I've, adapting to that new world? Yeah, I think, I don't know if we're going to change anything necessarily, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of, you know, 
person with briefcase leaving work and getting a beer or two before they get mm-hmm. to train home or, you know, that type of crowd, which might be like an after work crowd or, or even just, you know, a happy hour crowd. Uh, that being said, I don't think we're going to change our business model or change the style of beers we're making unless that new crowd, if it happens is dictating a different demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've always been kind of keen or kind of aware. And like you said, you were laughing about it. Hey, when, when's the Amber Ale coming? You laugh about it, but if five more people ask, it's probably going to happen. Um, it happened with our sour. I'm not a, I don't love sour beer, but I'll, if, if people, that's what they want, that's what they're going to get at Newark local beer. And people did not stop asking about the sour beers and I've made plenty of them in yeah. the past. I just, it, it like, I kind of brushed, pushed it back to the side. Yeah. Um, but people kept asking and asking and, you know, a couple of weeks later, there it is on the menu. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll remain nimble and, and kind of listen to the, those voices behind the bar. Know, what people are saying or what they're looking for or what they're asking for. Yeah. This kind of connects to this earlier point we made about like how much you should follow the crowds and whether or not you should remain like, you know, like obviously the seltzer, I think it's a good example of it, trying to, to adapt to a larger market. And I don't want to say specifically Newark thing. I think this would be true if you're, I believe Montclair's, if I'm not mistaken, they're doing a, a seltzer. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Um, they definitely do Maybe. sours uh, for sure. It's so yeah. funny because my aunt and my uncle who are like sort of the people who introduced me to, to beer, at least craft beer, um, they, they're they sour obsessives. And if anything, I can respect a sour, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm always like, like, this is not what I want from a beer. Whereas like with the log, with the kind of lager revolution that's going on right now, um, I'm just like adoring it so much. Like, you know, you get these like breweries that are now just like doing purely Czech styles. Like it's just kind of yeah, crazy I, to see what's going on. Like we're, I love seeing, it. That, we're seeing Mexican lockers. <laughs> like, yeah, I love it. That's and that's insane. like what our little butt is. It's basically just a really simple old school lager. And then we dry hop the living daylights out of it, of course, mm-hmm. to give it a little bit new world look and feel and taste. But it's really an old, old recipe just with a little flair to it. Yeah. Um, is there a specific style that you really want to do, but are just waiting because you just need like time or, or more, you know, sort of tinkering with it? Yeah. The, the, I want to, um, in my mind, I've always, I've always visualized uh, 10 to 20 barrels, mm-hmm. whether they're, te- in, you know, white wine and maybe a few white wine, a few tequila, a few bourbon. I want to experiment with some age stuff and, mm-hmm. and a few sours, you know, um, so I think we're going to try to delegate a little space for that type of barrel aging program. Um, it's not in the near future. I think we're still trying to work out our kinks and, and try to see what's popular, kind of speak to those tastes and needs of you know, the local community first. Yeah, would you, if you were to do that, would be a porter or something? or Yeah, maybe a stout, a stout or right. even you know maybe a Belgian Saison. Oh, uh, yeah. aged in a tequila barrel or something just to try to get some interesting different flavors and maybe do a little bit of blending or maybe even fruited sours yeah. just like a proper proper wild sour yeah versus what we're doing is like a clean sour yeah so to speak it's funny because like as you mentioned sours like when you think of belgians and sours they think of flemish red ales and i'm like that's exactly what i like in a sour it's like it's not fruited yeah not that i hate the fruit flavors but it's just like it's just like you're letting the sourness be its own kind of thing yep yeah, and the so malt, there's, there's, the malt flavor still comes through, which is always great. Yeah, that's a whole different yeah beast right there, and that can go in so many different directions. But I think we want to tap into that a little bit. And yeah, 
Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, Gil of uh, All Points West, which I hope you get to visit if you haven't already. Um, you know, he didn't start doing barrel aging really until like three years in. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I understand the time it takes and like you, you want to set out a, a sustainable market or sustainable business, sorry, before you before you start like investing. Essentially making, I mean, like the weird thing is like barrel aging is making an investment. Like legit. Oh, yeah. It actually is yeah, an investment. You, yeah, you might have to wait. Yeah. A year to three years to start blending. I mean, yeah, it's a total investment. And, you know, the beer market's weird that, and where it differs from scotch or wine, where mm-hmm. you can go out and buy a $300 bottle of scotch, but beer is like $7. Yeah. Yep. You age it, it's still seven. <laughs> it might be eight. Yeah, you know? I, I didn't realize so it's this. Like a, it's like a labor of love, really. I mean, you barrel age something, maybe you charge $10 for it, but you're not charging 20 People yeah. will laugh you. They'll laugh you right out of the... So you got to really want that in, for your beer menu and for your customers. Yeah, someone who's in the in the, in the industry, I didn't know this. I had to explain this to me. Like, I was complaining about, like, beer prices being expensive. And I didn't realize it, but this is, like, that's actually the lowest margins a lot of stores get. Like, if they're not selling, like, let's say, Corona is a, a different story. I'm sure the margins there are actually probably better than they actually are. Yeah. Um, but, like, with craft brewing, like, the margins are not as big as, say, a bottle of wine. And that blew my mind. I assume that margins were somewhat relatively consistent across yeah. the different things. But with brewing, like, there's there's high costs to brewing, but um, it doesn't translate into, like, huge profits either in the way That's that wine, right. like, just automatically does because of, you know, branding yeah. and marketing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, we kind of see it as a holistic, you know, the whole pricing and profit margins. We kind of see it holistically. Like we like to try to charge the same thing. Yes, German yeah. German lagers the same price as a really hoppy beer, and then those cost centers aren't anywhere near the same. But we don't want. We kind of see it evening out. We don't want sticker shock. We don't want people to be like, "Ooh, eight dollars for the IPA and seven for the lager." Oh, geez, I'll just go with the lager. I'm you know. actually I'm actually kind of laughing because I keep saying you should you should charge more for the train wreck. Just so you get, get the, <laughs> we started to we started yeah, because I'm just like you're just like idiots here who are like ooh it's eight eight percent APV you know that's that's better. We've I'm getting more for my buck. <laughs> yeah, we've started to do that a little bit, um, but we still are you know kind of cognizant or cautious about of course sticker yeah. shock for people. We don't. Yeah. I, our goal is not to gouge people like. I'd rather them come to our brewery and buy a pint for seven dollars than go to XYZ restaurant across the park and pay a ten dollars for a pint or whatever. Whatever is, you know, I, it's funny. I, I see this at Cool Vines when I stand there for a little while, and I'll see this at like let's say Black Swan. Like, do you get people who walk in, see the price, and just like are like what, like what you're charging that much? Like, does that happen? It it has yet to happen. Okay, which leads me to believe that there's a real beer crowd coming in. Okay. Or not, I don't know. Hard to hard, but no, I haven't. We haven't had that yet, and I think if we did, we might have dropped prices. I don't. I don't know how it would have shaken out, but I think people get it, and they're uh, the majority of our customers that come in are they're just seeking that fresh mm-hmm. beer, and they're happy to pay seven dollars a pint for it, or you know whatever the going rate is. So we're pretty appreciative of that. And I'm sure people are cognizant that we're running into a lot of costs, and they'd rather see us open. Yeah. And like, yeah. Do people complain there's no food? Y'all. Yeah. Do yeah. You? Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> That's true. Well, no, no. Do, you have, do, you have, do you have to explain to them like why there isn't food? Like this is not yeah, just because I, you don't want to do it. Like this is yeah, like a legit. Yeah, it's, like, it's, we don't have the, yeah, we're not allowed to have the kitchen. We don't have the kitchen. And uh, 
I, now our regular customers for sure. I mean, I, I see them roll in with the bags and yeah, yeah. halfway through their first beer, their DoorDash is here. So people are getting used to it. Um, are repeat customers for sure. And to people who aren't repeat are mostly kind of brewery hopper beer nerds. And so they've seen that before. Mm. Um, but when we get fresh cut new customers from Newark, you know, that's what you don't have a kitchen. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you kind of see them have a beer and then leave. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Cause like, this is a legal prohibition. You came and coordinate yeah. with like restaurants, which is like even a level of weirdness that like is only, is a very yeah. New Jersey thing. But like you go to Massachusetts and like the breweries, there are also like doing these like crazy intense food programs. Um, oh yeah, like Jack's Ab- trucks. Yeah, there. not even that. Like the actual onsite. Like so, Jack's Abbey has a full kitchen, and they do a Wiener Schnitzel. They do like like l- intense food, like legit like professional chefs. Like now or- you're making me hungry. Yeah, I'm I know. So I know. I'm just so go- envious of that. Though. Just go to- go to Jack's Abbey's website and like go to their open table, and you could see like what you can order, and it's just like it's insane. Um, yeah. And I've been up there. Like I've been at their their restaurant now like probably five times, six times. Yeah. And um, it just kind of blows your mind because it's like this can't exist in New Jersey. Like by like legally, you cannot even do something like this at all. Yeah. Um. I was going to ask you, like, you know, if there's any aspirations around, like, you obviously you can't do food, but like, are there aspirations also around maybe? uh, You you talked about art, maybe uh, integrating some of the local artists into the space itself. would you like are there other ways you could collaborate with new workers that you've been thinking about in terms of maybe the beer program maybe the um you know educational aspects around beer i feel like there's like a, an opportunity to talk about what a lot of the wealth of this town was built on through the lens of what you're doing yeah i mean one of the things we'd always talked about and i don't know if this is directly answering your question is trying to get with all these colleges and young kids and mm. There's not a brewing program in town, yeah. but we want to kind of steward this program for students that may or may not be interested in it to come in and, you know, do internship or, you know, a study in in the fermentation process or, or just working at a brewery. So we think that would be neat to bring students in either on their break or in the summer or to start a program where we can have um, like kind of a little mentorship, try to create you know, buzz or an interest around that where people can maybe use us as a jumping off point to work at a brewery someday or figure out, am I interested in it? Am I not interested in it? Um, with hopes that it develops a little bit more buzz or a little bit more interest in, in the kind of the, the beer making community globally or within Newark, it doesn't really matter. But can I just say this, like, that's really interesting what you described there, because like a brewery implicates so much. Like you could tap into people who are interested interested in hospitality, people who are interested in like you know agriculture slash the, the aspects of beer making that are like very scientific, but also like marketing and like just general like you know kind of how do you how do you push forward a product and and have it like sell right? Um, yeah. And it's funny that there's such a great opportunity there, and like you have two universities that could you could easily tap into for that kind of yeah. help, but also to educate them. Yeah, that's an amazing point by you. There's more learning that now. I'm not. I'm, I didn't come from a marketing background or a sales background, or really even a beer making background. You know, was, yeah. a lot of this we're kind of learning on the go. There's so much to this business that we don't know and we haven't learned yet, and that we're, you know, it's just 
a lot of tough lessons for us to kind of learn some of those things. But it'd be great to have a student who's really into marketing. Yeah. Come it, in and like help us. I'm a dinosaur, you know, yes. young kids. Like I'm a total dinosaur. <laughs> like they can, they have ways of tapping into social media that I don't even can in my mind, my little mind can't comprehend. You know, you know what kills me is how many people enter this industry. I'm going to say this industry, I just don't mean brewing. I mean like distilling, wine, all that stuff. Who come in and like, you know, I'm going to make a good product. And like, you know, like when I ask them about like, well, how about your label? Like what's your label going to look like? They're like, oh, that doesn't matter. I'm like, are you shitting me? Yeah, like, it totally does. Like it totally does. Like, like I buy, when I buy something, I'm buying a whole thing. I'm not buying just the contents of that thing inside. You know, I'm buying that visual experience. I'm buying the sort of the design elements. How does it feel when I hold it in my hand? And all that matters. And it kind of blows my mind how much a lot of people in this industry, and I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying people in the industry. It kind of is, though, because no, we, we, yeah. like, we don't even have labels. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because you haven't candy, so I can't really critique yeah. your label. But like, I, like Torch and Crown, who I was at last week, right? Their labels are phenomenal. <laughs> like, they're amazing to look at. And like they actually have a wall there. If you go in to the, they have a to-go section where you just pick up stuff. They have yeah. all. They've only been around for a year, but they have forty cans That's <laughs> with all these different designs on them. And I'm like, you know, Newark has this amazing artist scene. Like, tap into that and like make sure your label game is like on point because yeah, yeah. I tell We've this, talked- to, I tell this to Gil all the time. I'm like, you have like all those twenty-one murals right on Route yeah. Twenty-One. Like, if you could get that art onto your product like not only are you tapping into the local community but you've actually like really are giving that kind of whole experience to the bottle yeah we've um, talked about kind of doing a program or like a little competition mm-hmm. with one design schools or something just like hey here's our pale ale like who's let's see it yeah well actually I, let me ask you about something so like you, you do have a design element which is the the names right how did yeah. that come about because you, you have a particular theme for your names yeah so uh so the brewery, you know, it was always when we thought of Newark. So we just kept coming back to Newark, Newark. We it's like shipping containers and locomotives, and we just kept, every time I thought or we thought of Newark, we just like kept seeing trains for some reason. You know, whether it's the light rail or the Broad Street or the Penn Station, like everything was like every time we were in Newark, we're coming from New York and going to this train station, that train station, then we're taking the light rail in between them, and it's just like it kept coming back to trains. So our logo ended up having this kind of train figure in it and it just kind of steamrolled from there. And our you know, first couple beer names, you know, we had one ironbound was like our first beer that we made kind of an homage to kind of, you know, one of New York's sections. And, and then we just started to have fun with it, the train theme and it steamrolled. <laughs> and, and we have a bunch of a handful of um, New Jersey transit employees that, that frequent the brewery. I'm not going to name names here. <laughs> but um, they started just writing down names. Um, and I said, just so you know, if you start writing down, writing things down and leave it, it's probably going to end up on the board. And that that's where Switch Failure and Unruly Passenger, um, some of these different names came from, these, these Jersey Transit people. So, um, I'm, I'm going to find the name of that path conductor and i think you know who i'm talking about the legendary yes. one yeah we need to name something after him in his honor and like that's ugh. funny I, I like i feel bad because like you know obviously maybe he wants to maintain a level of like anonymity or privacy yep. but like he's such an iconic person <laughs> and i see him all the time I'm like this guy's actually now famous and I'm like he's just <laughs> the guy i see on the path train like every like 
fifth or sixth path train I take, he's the one. That's doing so it. funny. Um, yeah, because like obviously that's that's not like heavy rail. I think your your theme is a little more on the heavy rail. I guess you have light rail too, so like you have yeah. modes of transportation. But like, um, you know, getting a pat that guy's name or like conductor or like you know old timey conductor, you know ale, yeah. <laughs> and making an old school like you know ale. <laughs> and I can't believe the amount of names we have lists and lists and lists. People just leave lists and lists of names with all these just different variations. But that's been really fun. I mean, that's that's always fun to just have fun with it. Oh man, I like if you do like an English style bitter calling it like the transcontinental or something. <laughs> there you go. Don't be surprised. Uh, I love, I love people, people find me odd, but I, I did spend time in England and I do love like, I won't say warm ambient temperature. English style bitters are pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I could see, I could see us having a, a rotating cast conditioned, yeah. you know, one of those old, you know, you got the arm and you got to pump it. Yep. Yeah. I used to see the, uh, the women, it's mostly women weirdly who like throw their full body weight into that pump. Yeah. Just and yeah, it comes out, like it out. A, yeah. 58 degrees. And just <laughs> great head on it. Yeah. It's like, it's all head. Like, it's just like this, like, yeah. a, like foam you could pick up with your hand. <laughs> yeah. You get the mustache going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, I don't know if, before we get to our last question, I just wanted to like ask you, are there any other things you want to talk about with the brewery? Like, you know, maybe stuff I missed. No, I think we covered a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the proper topics. Um, your last question is probably going to open up Tam- Pandora's box of, <laughs> as they usually do. Last yeah. questions. Yeah. Um, so I guess the last question is like, what um, I ended this, I end every podcast with this question. So uh, what are you excited for in Newark? I'm excited. Probably most. I, I say we, my wife and I is, I always am kind of looking forward and people probably said this five years ago or 10 years ago. Like I'm really excited to see what, Newark looks like five years from now mm-hmm. and not just from a selfish beer perspective. Although I think it would be awesome to look out five years and see more craft beer bars or another brewery in town, but just to see what changes Newark goes through and hopefully they're positive ones. Um, so I just think it's really, I think Newark's kind of on the pre- precipice of like a lot of neat things. And I think it's, really neat to look forward and just see how Newark's going to develop. Yeah. I, I similarly like, um, it's not so much I'm excited for this. It's just interested to see what it's going to look like. I think a lot of return, return to work, um, strategies for local companies are starting to be activated. Uh, I know that the company I work at, uh, is sending, uh, is sorry, not sending is reopening, um, uh, a majority of our space come around April, end of April. And yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see how all that pans out. And like, is the downtown fundamentally going to look different? I think it is. I'm of the camp that there is yesterday is not going to be the same. Yeah. Uh, sorry, today's not going to be the same as it was yesterday kind of thing. Um, whereas I, I meet a lot of people who are just like, oh, it's just like an on-off switch. And I'm, and I'm like, you can't be that like delusional, can you? <laughs> like, I don't yeah, say that, yeah. but I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> like two years of this and like knowing how Jersey people behave. <laughs> To think that like everyone's just going to start coming back to downtown Newark, like I feel like it is going to be different, but that different maybe, maybe replaced with people who are a little more loyal and a little more less flighty. But it's a whole different yeah. story, right there. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the final things to know for us that we didn't really mm-hmm. touch on, but it's always kind of been a thought of ours in opening in Newark is we don't want to be seen as, you know, we're from Montclair and, and we've had family in this area, but we don't want to be seen as kind of 
small business that comes into Newark and tries to take advantage of like a booming Newark economy that we think is going to happen. I think it's important for us to be involved in the community. And um, so I think it's a, at some point, probably in the very near future, we're going to have some outreach programs. We want to help. There's a lot of issues in Newark and there's a lot of uh, organizations or foundations that need help. And so I think it's important for us to not just be a business in Newark, but be part of the community and help out, you know, causes that are probably near and dear to Newark. Not, nothing, um, so, that can, nothing that couldn't be solved with a little beer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, but I think it's important for any yeah, business to come in and, and you're, you're, we're basically like forcing ourselves into this downtown Newark, right? And nobody mm-hmm. has any say. But, um, but I just think it's important for us to kind of give back to the community or just help out. You know, we're here all the time. And, and it's, I think without doing that, it's, it's not fair. So it's important for us to try to get involved in the community and help out in any way we can. Yeah, that's actually a really nice note to end on. So uh, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Steve Hughes. This is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pod and Market podcast, editing and sound engineering by Bob Frey's podcast and logo design provided by Robert Conti. Additional creative input by Samantha Cateas. If you have a subject you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And so I'm going to end with a quote uh, from the second edition of the Beer Bible, which just came out this year. Um, long awaited actually um it's this amazing uh like encyclopedia of beer uh primarily edited and written by jeff allworth and he just goes through every single style and it's really refreshing no pun intended uh because basically um so much has changed since the last edition of the beer bible that like it's sad to think that that one is already out of date um even the oxford companion to beer which is another big book that a lot of people own is uh and i have that myself uh is already out of date just because of like who would have thought that Czech style beer would be now like a dominant, like I can name three breweries that are doing specifically Czech things. Um, and so he has this great, uh, this actually ends his first chapter, this quote, and it's actually a really great comment about what's going on with beer right now. Beer is never a settled matter and beer styles never live forever. As craft brewing has revived interest in taste and variety, we're seeing preferences diverge from country to country. Belgians are making hoppy beers and Americans are making Belgian ales. The French are making cask ale, and the British are discovering craft lager. These trends get fed back into the cultural mill, shifting and mutating until they've created something yet again different and new. We can't know how beer will taste in 50 years, except to say this, it won't taste like it does now. Thank you. Thank you.